0: You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer.
1: I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer.
0: And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Welcome to another episode of the Complete Developer Podcast. This week we are talking about interacting and learning from and uh, helping out salespeople. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Oh, wow. I've been...
1: <laughs> I'm catching it on three or four different fronts at the moment. Um, All right, Germany. Yeah, it's... <laughs> you know, I, I'm dealing with some legacy code at work that has had a lot of hands in it for the last three or four years, and... Not real well commented. It's not coherent. So you'll you'll code for a little bit, and then you step into a method, and it's some other dude's code. Oh
0: wow!
1: And it's just it's almost like a culture shock, and it's jumping back and forth between that. Um, I also right. dealt with a negotiation, a, a pricing negotiation for some software that we were using. I can't get into actual numbers here, but I did save the company some money. Significant. There you go. A significant amount of money. Um, so I dealt with that. You know, the side project has released, and so we're fixing bugs in in that stuff. Uh, we this last weekend we had an attack on our website. It was the XML RPC yeah. business with WordPress because somebody was, you know, somebody apparently in the development team said, "Hey, here's a feature that's a." gigantic security hole and people have it turned off, let's turn it back on and disable the ability to turn it off. And some other man said, let's give that guy a raise. <laughs> yeah, and so you and I were dealing with that at what, two o'clock in the morning, Sunday?
0: Yeah, I think, well, I think I texted you at 11 yeah. is when it started and it didn't get resolved till about two.
1: Yeah, and there were still some aftershocks the next day too. Oh yeah. Some,
0: yeah.
1: And, yeah, so we had to fix all of that. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what I've been fighting with. How about you? Well,
0: I uh, have to say, I think I'm in love with a penguin. I installed Linux on my laptop uh, this past week, and holy crap is it so much faster. I mean, when I edited last week's show, I did it in half the time it normally takes me.
1: And how, how long does it normally take you? It's, give the readers, it, or the uh, listeners. The readers? Really? Why did I say that? The, the, give the listeners a perspective.
0: It normally takes me nine to ten hours.
1: And this was, nine to ten hours was a fast improvement from...
0: Oh yeah, the very first time it took me all weekends, like 30 hours for the episode zero and one which combined was about the length of a episode we do now. And... You know, I, I cut that down to about 12 or 13, and I got it down to, I was getting it around between 9 and 10. Um, but I'll be honest, what took so long was waiting on some of the automatic processes, like noise reduction and things like that. Whereas in in Windows, because there was so much stuff running in the background, and I have a really crappy laptop. It's a crap top. Yeah, literally. No, it's not really that crappy, it's just it has... It's
1: not literally
0: <laughs> crappy. Look, it's not crappy. It, as I was explaining to my mother, it's just literally
1: slow. Yeah, if it was literally crappy,
0: I I'd buy it. Yeah. Now it's it's just slow because it's short on memory, and uh, it's like I was explaining to my mom. For her, this would be a great laptop. Because so I was telling her the the difference in memory versus the hard drive, and she was like, "That's crazy." I was like, yeah, but for someone like you who uses it for Facebook and email and keep up with, you know, my sister's out of state and stuff, this it's perfect because it's plenty of room to save videos and photos and just fast enough for what you're doing. But for what I'm doing, it's We need not. to give
1: her the specs on my machine.
0: <laughs> I did.
1: And then, you yeah. know, after the seizure is over...
0: Yeah, I, I, I told her yours compared to mine and I was like, yeah... As soon as I get a new one, my mom's laptop is terrible, so I told her she gets this one, and I would leave Linux on it because it runs so much better. But like I said, uh, I mean, I'm recording now in Linux. I've done, ever since I put this on the machine, I have barely touched Windows. Pretty much only gone to Windows to get files and move them over.
1: Yep. That's how it starts.
0: Yeah, and the next thing
1: you know, I'm going to be buying Unix. Nah, you probably won't go that far. You'll probably be a cheapskate. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but you'll be a cheapskate with much more lush facial hair.
0: Well, that's why I did it. You know, it was for the facial hair. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much all I've been up to is uh, I installed Linux uh, early this week, and I have been setting that up, and really I'm just loving it. I've got, uh, well, you can see my uh, my notebook here. I'll throw a picture on the on the oh, show wow. notes for it. <laughs> uh, I've got uh, I printed off a couple of different books on Linux and put them all on a notebook. Uh, so it's it's been super helpful. I'm, I tell you, I'm able to do more on my laptop than with the Pi, the Raspberry Pi, and so I'm able to understand how to use the Pi better because I can do things on the laptop. And it's just made my life so much better. So, Linux is good at that. I mean, I would, I would
1: switch if I could get away with it. But I'm a Windows programmer at the moment. You know, .Net's moving, you know, where yeah, it's I mean, platform agnostic, but we're not there yet. There's legacy code from, you know, some of the stuff I'm dealing with was written in, you know, the last decade.
0: Well, I've, I mean, I've got uh, Visual Studio code on Linux, and that's what I use. That's like my primary editor, because I'm going to have a blog post where I talk about the different editors and the goods and bads of them, so be checking out bowtiebeach.com for that. But I
1: have have a fair bit of stuff that actually directly interfaces with the Win32 API, Mm -hmm. and you can move that over somewhat sometimes with Wine but it doesn't always work very well, and I'm I'm very tightly tied right now to Visual Studio. Although I do like you know WebStorm for Node, yeah. I just I can't I can't make the jump just yet.
0: That's that's one of the good things is I'm early enough on where I can make that jump. Though I did I have put Mono on here, so I can do some I can do .NET on here. I also I, one of the things I love about Ubuntu is I can log into Windows or Linux. Yeah, the bootloader. Yeah, I love that. That's so great because if I want to get on and do some stuff in the full Visual Studio version, I just go into my Windows. Yep. If I want to play games on Steam, which I have on the Windows and have put on on Linux, I just go into Windows. There's no point in putting it on Linux. Yep. I'm keeping the, my Linux uh, operating system as as small as I can because I want it to be the fast version. Yeah. Things that it's what I go to when I need to get things done fast and not take a lot of time.
1: That's the definition of fast, by the way. Well, yeah. Provided by B.J. Burns.
0: (laughs) With that said, uh, let's roll the music and get into some IOTs. (laughs) Week for IOTs, I uh, have something that's um, actually an IOTs. Uh, recently, uh, Microsoft opened up their Azure IoT suite for technical preview. I think it was what, like a a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it?
1: Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when the announcement was made. I think I heard about it about a week and a half ago.
0: Yeah, I knew was, it wasn't that long ago. So we're going to talk about that uh, this week. Kind of give you guys an IOTs of what's available. And uh, it was originally announced at the uh, Microsoft uh, Convergence this year. A quote from the, the Microsoft website, the, the Azure IoT Suite is an integrated offering that takes advantage of all the relevant Azure capabilities. The services that are offered through the suite include the IoT Hub, which uh, connects, monitors, and controls devices and other assets, uh, things. The notification hubs, which is a scalable push notification engine to quickly send out messages to your devices or receive them from your devices. Machine learning, it's a cloud-based predictive analytical tool.
1: So you could actually tile these pieces together, like if you had a
0: sensor network of yeah. IoT, exactly. Devices. And the the way they have it set up, they have like pre made sets that you can go in and use, or you can go in and build your own. There's also the Power BI, which uh, will transform your data into visuals, and then the uh, the stream analytics, which will run a uh, real time data stream from millions of IOT devices. And it's designed to work with certified IOT devices, which they have an Azure certification for them. The list that I found on the website includes the BeagleBone boards, the MinnowBoard Max, Intel Edison. Of course, my personal favorite, because that's the one that I own, the Raspberry Pi. (laughs) They have
1: Arduino. Well, I guess you can't really. No, the Arduino got, that would be so custom at
0: yeah. that level. Yeah, no. What what you would do if you want to control an Arduino is you would have a Pi hooked up to it, and then have the the Arduino as the microcontroller hooked into the Pi, or one of the other ones. They also have a
1: well, because I mean, they're, if they're going to certify the you know the device, they actually have to somewhat certify the, the software interfaces on it. Yeah. So with Arduino. You don't really have that. You're, you're putting the software on the board. Yes. Which I guess that's kind of true of the Pi as well. I mean, you could probably load it with a custom OS or something mm-hmm. along those lines. But well, nobody's um, going
0: to do that. The, there's there's yeah, more to it that. for ones that aren't certified. Uh, the rest of the list includes the Freescale, Texas Instrument, uh, SEED, which is S-E-E-E-D, Resin.io, and Arrow. Some of these I have not heard of and uh, look forward to looking up later. Yeah, because we may have some IOTs about them. Well, was there was there any indication from Microsoft that this was coming? Because um, I didn't. I found out about it from listening to another podcast, the MS Dev Show, where they had they interviewed someone who was on the team. You were asking about the the Arduino and possibly some other boards that are not certified. They have a program to get a board certified. But also, for the ones that aren't, uh, they do provide support for multiple OS platforms, including all supported Windows versions, even the Windows 10 IoT Core, many different Linux and Unix operating systems. And as it goes forward, they'll be adding more to what they support.
1: Right. I mean, Microsoft seems to be opening everything up substantially. They do. To the degree that they're not going to be able to close it again. Which is I hope, not a risk for them. I hope that it really it plays out well. They seem to have, you know, they've had a pretty abrupt uh, personality change since the new CEO got in. and I, I really like it.
0: Yeah, they've done a lot of really great stuff, and I'm excited to see this IoT suite. I haven't had a chance to play with it yet. Um, so in maybe a month or two, probably after the holidays, I'll do another episode where I talk about what I've done with it. Um, I know I've told you guys about the the Raspberry Pis that I'm going to be building into little computers for my nieces. I'm looking forward to getting those in to work on them and then playing around with the IoT suite while I've got all the Raspberry Pis in one place. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's uh, that's the Azure IoT suite. Uh, it's in technical preview. Go check it out, and uh, if you guys build anything on it, uh, post a comment. Let us know. We're we're definitely fascinated by what is in the future and what's uh, coming out and where it can go. In this episode, we're going to talk about the age old question among developers.
1: Why are sales folks so happy all the time? I know this has come up in my career quite a bit, and a lot of us have a little bit of difficulty understanding sales. But thankfully, we've got someone here that uh, has done a little bit of that.
0: Oh, that's that's a very good thing. That's the kind of the starting point for this. Is uh, why why are sales folks so happy all the time? the The main thing is uh, that's their job. Their job is to be happy. It sounds funny, I know, but. Uh, if you think about it like this,
1: uh, sort of like an anchor on a TV kid, a kids' TV show.
0: Yeah, yeah, a lot like that. Their their job is to make the customers happy, and they do that by being happy or appearing to be happy themselves. Have a quick quote uh, on sales. In some professions, such a difference would be obvious. A salesman who sells ten times as much as his peers will be noticed and compensated accordingly. Sales are easy to measure. And some salesmen make orders of magnitude more money than others. And what you'll find is that the the ones that make a lot of money tend to truly be happy, and the others are trying to emulate them. Both of them's job is to get you a paycheck. Well, that's a very good point. It's a point I raised Last at week. some point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, actually, I had that in here under our next topic. So we'll go ahead and move on to it. It's uh, what's so important about sales. And the very first thing under that topic was the quote from you saying... Their job is to get you a paycheck.
1: Yep. I mean, functionally, that's that's where the money comes in. Mm-hmm. And it's going out through you. More than likely, as a developer, you're not actually bringing money into the company.
0: Yeah, and like I said earlier, their job is to make customers happy. They do so by being happy themselves. Now, and so on the understanding of the role of a salesperson, it's their job to go out and inform the customers of the product that you're making. It's their job to tell them what it has and to make promises to them about what it can do and how it can benefit their business. And we'll get a little more into this when um, when we talk about the sales process. I'm going to kind of give you guys a sales school 101. So the company's approach to the sales department, it varies company to company. And that makes sense when you really look at what is the company there for? For a sales driven company, such as an ad agency or a marketing firm or something like that, obviously sales is gonna be the most important part of the company. However, for a software company with a very established product, sales is not as important as it would be for
1: You're talking about like a recurring revenue product? Yes. Yeah. I mean that makes sense because once you've got once you've acquired the customers and it's Support and continuing feature Mm -hmm. upgrades, whereas you know the initial growth curve that sales cycle you know makes or breaks the company.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at here is that it it depends not only on what type of company but where the company is in their own growth. And I'm getting this from GetDoneDone.com: developers versus sales blog
1: developers versus sales is
0: that like a cage match
1: or drinking contest i mean how does that play out
0: (laughs) i I think it is a cage drinking contest one thing that as developers we need to remember is that sales is just as important as development nothing really sells itself if you think about it not even apple sells itself steve jobs was more of a salesman than anything else He had
1: to be a salesman first yeah he did who have never gotten where he got based on software development skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, for an example that, compare him to, uh, I don't know, Dennis Ritchie, who was very much a software developer first. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of people outside of software development have heard of him because he was a software developer first, not a salesman first.
0: That's true. And he, he probably didn't wear the turtlenecks.
1: Yeah. you got to have the black turtleneck to be in sales, apparently. Or to sell Apple. To
0: sell Apple. I, I don't sell
1: Apple. That's good. You look weird square glasses anyway.
0: <laughs> but what you have to think is as a developer, how do you make people aware of the product? Because that's what salesmen think of all the time. That is one of the primary functions of their job is making people aware. And especially if it's a new technology, you got to create the need.
1: Right? They don't even know that they need it. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about think about Twitter or Facebook or you know, any of these big packages of software. I mean, heck, think about QuickBooks. I mean, everybody needs an accounting system, but nobody, you know, at that point thought about having it automated. They had a bookkeeper.
0: See, I was thinking of smartphones. Yeah. When those first came out, as much as I am an early adopter, I refused to get a smartphone for the longest time just because I didn't see the point in it. Basically, this is the role of sales. This is what the main function of their job is, is to go out there and make people aware of the product and create that need so that people will buy.
1: Right, and this is this is something we miss a lot as developers because our mindset tends to be around you know, Google. It's like, okay, I have this problem. Let me look on Google. Let me go find something that solves this problem. We're very good at that. We're yes. pretty much digital natives at this point. A large part of the population, including people in the tech sector, are not at that level. And so if you don't make them aware of a product repeatedly they're not going to buy, they're not gonna find it, they're not gonna think about it, they're not gonna remember it. This is I mean, this is why we do our marketing the way we do on this podcast. Yeah. It's because we have to keep in front of people, otherwise we won't get listeners. It's one thing to we have a few regular listeners. Jason, Jason and Jason. <laughs> That's true. There's, there's there's like three dudes we know named Jason that regularly uh listen to
0: the podcast and we were kind of we were talking about that it's kinda humorous. We we know we have a few regular listeners that it doesn't matter how much advertising we do they're they're going to listen to the
1: show. There's an advertising saturation that well, is beyond what you know somebody will take. But as far as like how much we get out in front of new
0: yeah that's listeners, the big thing
1: that doesn't affect them.
0: No no. It really and
1: so and part of the job of a salesman is to figure out how to make the advertisement in such a way that it gets people in but doesn't cause problems to the ones already there
0: a very good point and that because <laughs> that's the very next thing we're getting um, into I've actually
1: somewhat uh, here lately become a bit of a sales dork I, I like that aspect of things because it's a little harder to predict and what's interesting is, is the dumb things that people do that screw things up are completely different than tech and oh so yeah it's a completely different set of problems
0: it's <laughs> it is. great
1: it's, it's, it's I wouldn't say it's relaxing to think about it because it's absolutely not but it's it's that uncertainty. You know, I'm, I'm used to dealing with this is true or this is false. And in sales, it's never false and it's never true. It's somewhere on a sigmoid curve in between those <laughs> yeah. two things. And you know, the closer you get to the end, the, the more predictable it is, but it's never a hundred percent predictable. And I love that.
0: That's, that's a great way of describing sales. I know my sister's a math teacher and Pay attention to my blog because eventually she's going to start posting on there under recreational mathematics. That is cool. Yeah, exactly. And that leads us right into the next topic, which is sales school 101. And I'm not going to take you guys through the full sales school that I went through because that would take way too long. Uh, But I want to hit some highlights and some of the important things that will help other developers to understand the thinking and mindset of the sales department and sales team so the first thing that we need to look at is sales is all about managing perceptions and will's already hit on this with talking about advertising yeah that's that's number one underneath there is advertising well
1: honestly development is all about managing perceptions everybody's seeing the absolute crap code that every system has somewhere and the fact that you don't Highlight that to management at every available opportunity is managing perception. So you're already halfway to sales. Unless you're trying to replace the code, and then of course you sell the fact that it's a bunch of crap, as if it were a competitor's product.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because it is. Mm-hmm. It, it, in a way it is. And that's a good way to put it. That's a good mindset to be in when you're talking to to sales folk, is that's what they're doing. They are trying to, basically in coding terms, they're trying to sell a rewrite or a change to the customer that leads to the next one, which is customer acquisition. Very important sales pitches, one-on-one meetings, things like that, that you really have to manage how you look. You want to look, you know, salesmen want to look professional. They want to look happy and in a good mood and they want to be excited about the product. Next is product quality. The sales department, they have to manage the perceptions that customers, The people using the product have of the reliability of the ease of use. And we'll talk about this in just a bit, but that may be something that they don't fully understand. And this is where we as developers can come in and help them and explain, you know, what some things that are easy to do to us that once we show the salesman, they're like, oh, wow, that is easy. I can show this to so and so, and oh,
1: Eat that right up. And if you do it right, they are incredibly excited about it, legitimately.
0: Because that's money coming in for them. The next is product design, and it's the same thing. They need to understand the way it looks, the way it feels, so that they can make the cool factor, so to speak, make it look interesting and appealing to the customer. And this is something that developers are usually not very good
1: at. This is why we have design people to a large degree. There's some developers that cross over. I'm not one of them. I think the pinnacle of user interface design is console apps. Not really kidding. <laughs> I'm not really that bad, but it's uh, it takes me a bit. But well, you know, I, I
0: can't just... say too much. I mean, I did did tell y'all uh, in the intro that I just put Linux on my laptop, so <laughs> I'm kind of enjoying the console right now too. Yeah. You know, moving back into the the actual topic at hand, um, another perception they have to manage is. Customer satisfaction. Even if you have a product that you only sell once, which is very, very rare, but that's not going to be the only product you have. Right. And you want them to be so satisfied with that product that before even looking at the competition for one of the other products you offer, they come to you because they know how good your stuff is. That's the way that salespeople think. And that's the way they present to the customers. That also includes account management, so dealing with problems as they come up, support. This month, actually, I had one of my clients call me up because they hadn't received an invoice, and I don't know if it got lost in the mail. I'm quite sure the company I work for would not forget to send out an invoice. (laughs) Part of my job was to get that to them. That's the kind of things that salespeople deal with because I want them to stay customers. I want them to stay with me. I actually really like the this place, and so um, the people there are very cool. the The last thing we're going to talk about, because there's a lot more, and I don't want to keep going, is public relations. I know some developers think about this, and others don't. About technical writing, there's technical writing in the sales field. This past Monday, I had to go to a regional sales conference.
1: So. Well, and, you know, as a developer, really, it's this is something that fades into the background. It's almost like it's almost like being in the woods and not ever seeing the trees. If you go to a development conference, there's booths everywhere. You go to Codemash, for instance. You go to Codemash, you know, I went there a couple of years ago, Sandusky, Ohio, right? It's freezing outside. There's a water park indoors. There's a group of recruiters in there just absolutely making it rain with free drink tickets. Okay, Those nice. people are salespeople, and they didn't just show up with the tickets, right? This was potentially months planned ahead, you know, making sure that they had all that stuff making sure they had all the stuff for the booth, you know, managing the logistics of, of keeping you know, all their contact lists of everybody they ran into, um, all the advertising stuff that was on the booth. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this that you never see unless you look for it. It's like, well, it's like a Google search. The average person doesn't realize what goes into it.
0: Well, it's like, it's like software in general, and this is a point we'll, we'll make later when we're talking about how to, how to help the sales department but it's, to a lot of people, computers are a magic box. And to people that don't know the sales process, they don't think about what goes into it. Yeah. Because if you think about all those drink, free drink tickets, they weren't free. Yeah. I mean, Let's I, I
1: gotta... bring out the Austrian economics here.
0: <laughs> I, I, I gotta pull, pull in my, my Heinlein here.
1: Yeah, there's nothing free.
0: Yeah, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and somebody's paying for it, and it's the salespeople. They are paying for it because to them, that's an investment. Right, it is, and
1: they expect to get more out of it. It's the same thing with your Google ads, the same thing with your Facebook ads. They try to get things to the point where they they know they can put in dimes and get out dollars. They put in dimes and they get out 15 cents. They're fine with that as long as it's an upward curve. Exactly.
0: Next, I kind of want to take you guys through something that I learned in several different companies I've worked at, they send you through a sales school process, like internal sales school, and this is kind of a combination of those, along with a couple of blogs that I found that also had some really good material that I pulled from, and that is the sales process. And if you go online and look, you'll find a couple of different things, either five or seven steps. I learned five, and so that's what I have for you guys, but uh, some of them are broken down even further.
1: I mean, sales isn't a 12-step process.
0: No, thankfully.
1: So yeah, number one is admitting you have a customer? Oh, no, no, Sorry.
0: No. <laughs> That's good. Can, uh... All right. So the sales process. Step one is preparation. So just like in writing code, you don't just go in and start writing ideally. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have a plan. You know what you're going in to do. And so, the first step in the sales process is creating that plan. Well, you know what your end goal is. Going in, there's a couple of things you, you have to know. You have to know your customer, your, the market that you are selling to. For example, where I work, I sell insurance to individuals at businesses. I'm primarily business to business sales. I have to get the business on board before I can even talk to the individuals. My main customer is their employees my market is the business the next thing you need to know as a salesperson is the product And this is really where developers we can come in and help the sales team by giving them information that they may not have on the product because who knows more about the product than the person writing it
1: right and a lot of things um, go through a lot of intermediaries between the developer in the sales folks, and stuff gets filtered out. Yeah, and you can honestly really, really help a salesperson by sneaking stuff around that workflow that's that's useful to them. You know how different pieces interact. It's almost like giving them insider information, but not illegal, right? And they you know they really appreciate it, and you know that that makes them more effective, and eventually makes you more money. Yeah, and it can go the other way too. Because what the salespeople experience in the field can inform your design choices oh, yeah. as a developer. And you can make things that are better. And your manager's like, wow, you're really good at this. And it's like, no, the salesperson just told me I sucked last time. <laughs> but you don't say that,
0: right? Because yeah. you want to
1: manage your career appropriately.
0: <laughs> yeah. And again, that's something we're, we are going to get into in a little bit on why all this information is important to you. But yeah, that is very true. So that's step one in the sales process. Step two is prospecting. This is personally my favorite part of sales. It's probably the most annoying part, too, but it's so much fun. I'm a people person. I'm very outgoing. If you ever meet me, you you would know I am just Mr. People Person. So I love this. And this is the searching for a new cloth.
1: He's he's practically a puppy dog with a beard.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. So but the puppy dog can be potty trained. So what prospecting is is going out and getting new customers, and this is where your preparation comes in. In the current job I'm in, the way I was trained was you go in and you prepare your list of clients to go visit that day, and then you do what we call qualifying, and that's for my industry. That's going through and making sure they're not on our do not contact list, they don't already have our product. And they have enough employees for it to be useful because, I mean, that leads right to the next one, which is step three is a needs assessment. Once you've gotten yourself there, you need to, as a salesperson, assess the need of the company. Do they really need the product or which product do they need? This is an intelligence gathering step. Which of your products does the customer need? One thing I joke with some of my coworkers about when we're working together is, uh, We'll drive by a place and uh, I'll say, I wonder if they have our product. If not, they need it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that is a, sales, a salesman's attitude. That really is. That's the attitude they have to have to be successful. Not only are you assessing the need here, but they're also building the need, which leads right into the next step, which is the presentation. And that's where you meet that need. You show how that need that you have really built up is met by the product that you have. This is where you demonstrate the product. Show what it does, show what it can do, show how it is useful to the company. This is where, as developers, our input can really help with the process. This is also where the salespeople can say, you know, I was presenting this and they asked me if it did this or if we had this feature and I didn't know, and I, just, I told him I don't think so. Um, but that's where you can get ideas from the salespeople because they're managing objections here. Because this is the point where they demonstrate the product and then the potential customer is throwing things out at them as to why they shouldn't buy it.
1: Their problem plus your solution equals your money.
0: That's a very good point.
1: And... We tend to leave that off the table. You'll notice that it's not your technology. It's your solution. Mm -hmm. And so we as technologists have to be aware of that
0: and work with sales
1: to some degree to make that happen.
0: And that solution leads to the fifth part of the sales process. This is the most important part. This is the make it or break it of every sale. And that's the close. It can be different at various stages during the process. So specifically business to business sales which is probably what a lot of uh, developers companies are yeah you know, you're you're writing software for another business so your sales team is selling business to business that's the way it is where I work right? so with that like in the early part of the process a close in the sales process you want it to be it can just be making the appointment. Just getting in and making the appointment with the person who can say yes or no. In this case, they're selling an appointment, not a product, not a widget. Later in the game, you may need to meet with a committee. And in that case, you're selling a meeting. Well, it's sort of like dating. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Escalating,
1: if you will, it's, it's almost a seduction of the client.
0: Well, I'll tell you something. You don't
1: go from you don't go from zero to full bore yeah immediately
0: well, i'll tell you something that my my boss told me the people who do best in sales are the guys that got all the girls in high school yeah um of course that led me to think of a particular friend of mine who would be great at sales based on that and uh he is currently going through the application process so <laughs> fair enough <laughs> so,
1: but it is. It's an it's an escalating. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You don't sell the final end product. You sell something that they can get right now and see a gain that builds trust. It's also less commitment, so they can, they feel like they can back out.
0: Yeah, that's while a big clicker.
1: point. That's why a lot of software packages have export functions to other software packages, is so their clients can back out, so they don't feel like they're trapped mm-hmm. because they're not feeling trapped. They'll go further.
0: Real quickly, just give you the process that I go through when making a sale. First thing, I'm out prospecting. My first goal is to get a meeting with the decision maker. I want five to ten minutes, sit down with them to explain the product, tell them what we have, why they need it, and how it's going to benefit their employees. And that is my first close, is getting that meeting. Now in that meeting, I'm explaining those things to them, and the close there is I want to get them to understand the need for the product so much that they want me to come back and do an employee presentation. Well, and I'll add a small
1: anecdote here. Um, when I was very very young, I sat in my grandfather's office, and he got an invoice um, that he was sending out to a client, and it was for a uh, it was a bill that was, I think it was like two hundred dollars for heating oil, and I was probably, I don't know, four or five years old, and this seemed like a tremendous amount of money, more money than I've ever seen in my life, and so I asked him, you know, how does this person, if they're paying you this, how do they have any money left for anything else? Bear in mind, this is four or five-year-old me, and my grandfather didn't completely get it immediately, but the lady that worked in the office with him did, and You know, she asked him to explain a little bit more clearly. And he looked at me and he said, uh, he said, well, if every time I give you $10, I earn $20 as a result of that, how often will I give you $10? And the answer is, of course, every time. And that's the way a lot of these sales things work, especially business to business, is that you show the company that they can make a quick or maybe not necessarily quick, but they can make a good return on investment from the expenditure with you. So you're essentially persuading them that, hey, this is the direction to go to
0: prove your situation. Exactly. The next step, once I'm in front of the employees, is to get them to want to buy the product. And this is kind of the final close is the employee enrollment, where I come back and they, they actually buy the product. In sales school, we learn a couple of kind of rules, uh, rules of the road type stuff. And one of those is the ABCs of sales. And it's really simple, kind of funny, but it's always be closing. Now I just explained what closing is. And yes, it is the final stage in the sales process. But as you can see, there's multiple points where, where I'm closing making a sale. Really, as a salesman, I need to be closing from the very initial approach. That is my end goal because that's what gets the sale. The close is the sale, and that's where I need to be going. So my mind is on the close the whole time. Closing, it's all about overcoming obstacles. In uh, the presentation, you manage objections. You manage those with the close in mind. And each time you manage an objection, you're closing. For those of us that are American football fans, when we're watching a game, every play is a play to score. It may just be a, you know, two-yard run to get the first down, but it's a play to score. And that's the way that the players have to look at it, because that's their goal. Their ultimate goal is to score, so every play is a play to score. And lastly, in kind of our sales school here, is the eighty twenty rule. This applies to a lot of different areas in the sales field. It's I'm just it gonna applies hit. Applies
1: everywhere. It's a Pareto. Yeah. Rule. Everybody needs to look that up.
0: The eighty twenty rule. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very important. I'm gonna hit a couple of things here, uh, quickly, just because it's something that's so prevalent that most of us. Already know what the 80 20 rule is. 80% of your initial approaches are going to say no. So, 80% of the time, and usually it's more than that. In my experience, it's about 90% of the time. When you go out there and the first time you go into a business and talk to somebody, I'm not going to get that decision maker meeting. And this is, this is. Before trust is built in the product, in your company, and in the salesperson. Um, this is before you've created the value, before you've identified the need. like This is the first time, this is just me walking in and saying, hi, my name's BJ. I'm from so-and-so. I'd like to sit down and talk to you about what we offer. 80% of the time or more, it's going to be no. Only 20% of the time, will they say yes?
1: In my experience, it's like 80% of the time they say no, 19% of the time they say maybe.
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. Um, the other thing in the sales world, and this is something that just kinda of is gonna help you understand where sales come from, 80% of sales come after the fifth approach or the fifth follow-up. You as a salesperson have been in that business five or more times. I just last week closed a sale that I've been working on for a month and a half. And I think I I went in there about twice a week. So at least 10 to 12 times.
1: Yeah. And this doesn't even surprise you anymore.
0: No, it's, this, this is normal. This is typical. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, nothing wrong with him. It's just that's the process. That's what it took. Um, actually, at this point, I kind of miss him because they were some pretty cool people. <laughs> All right. But on that same note, 80% of the salesmen aren't going to make that. 80% of salesmen only make one to two approaches. And then they move on because they're looking for that 20% that say yes, and they, they don't do those follow-ups. So that leaves 20% of salesmen that actually go back and make those follow-up approaches that go five or more times. Doing the math, that means 80% of sales are going to 20% of the salesmen. Other 80% of salesmen are fighting over 20% of the sales. And that is your sales school 101. Another thing to look at is um, I found a blog post about the differences in pay. It's really good. I'm gonna put it in the show notes. I want you guys to take a look at it because it goes way more in depth than I'm gonna go here and really explains a lot. Uh, so Briefly, we're going to look at pay structures and differences between developers and sales. Pay doesn't always match ability.
1: Right. And I've noticed that a lot with development.
0: Yeah. Um, For example, a programmer that is 10 times better than the average programmer can expect about a 20% pay raise over the average.
1: Or they can expect to be shuffled into management
0: where they don't get coded. Well, yeah, there is that, There is that. (laughs) That's still not that great of a pay raise going into management, either. Right. Not compared to a salesman that's ten times better than the average salesman. You know what they can expect? Getting paid ten times as much. Exactly. Do you know why that is? Because they're good at selling.
1: And they they sell their boss on their value.
0: Not really. It's because salesmen are paid on commission. Well, there's that. (laughs) I mean... So, we're going to look at salaries versus commissions. Most salesmen and women are paid by commission. and this is both good and bad. The good is there's no cap to the income. That makes sense,
1: whereas you know software developers, the pay initially is very high, mm-hmm. especially you know coming out of college and it goes up very steeply. There's a point where it plateaus. I'm, I suspect it's not that far ahead of where I am. yeah, which is part of the reason for me branching out is because I can't grow. That's a certain point.
0: You hit a point. There's a ceiling to it. Yeah. Where you either move into management or you start your own company or something like that. Yeah. That's the good. The bad is there's no floor. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) There's no regular paycheck. This is something that, that I deal with. If I don't make a sale, I don't get any money. Most developers are paid either a salary or hourly. Hourly is, it has some similarities to commissions. It's kind of a pay pay for performance. So how much you work determines how much you get.
1: Yeah. It if also has work. similarities to heroin addiction because, you know, they're they're really happy when things are going well and then otherwise they're just sitting and twitching in a corner.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. He's <laughs> also... Somebody it's,
1: pointed that out to me not too long ago and I was...
0: It's also not regular pay. Yeah. And not, you can get guaranteed hours sometimes. The good thing about being hourly, though, is... You can get overtime. Now, as Will has informed me, that's not like the overtime I used to get when working at the hospital, which was time and a half, and very nice, but that still is, you're getting paid for those hours that you work. And that's opposed to a salary position, where you are usually exempt from overtime pay. You get paid the same if you work 40 hours, or if you work 80 hours.
1: Right. Although, if you do the long hours in tech, usually you get
0: pizza. So, salaried is usually exempt, meaning they don't get paid for that extra work. However, you do get a regular paycheck that you can rely on, and you know how much you're going to get each month, two weeks, week, depending on your pay structure. Finally, we get to, so what? What does this mean for me as a developer? Well, for one, the sales team needs to know about the product. You know the most about the product because you're the one that's making it. You know what it can do. You know what it can't do.
1: And what you know, it could possibly
0: do at some point in the future yeah. with, with small modifications. You know the timeline of production. You probably know what the, the backlog is for features to add. Yeah. Uh, that's a big thing for salespeople. Just letting you know, if they, if you tell them, oh, hey, we're working on this, they can make that a selling point.
1: And they can also time the sales appropriately exactly. as well, because if it's, hey, this feature's coming out, when this sort of stuff goes through a whole lot of filters, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that. I really think that development and sales should interface very mm-hmm. closely. There's a lot of companies that really silo the salespeople off because they annoy developers, in yeah. a lot of ways. It's good. You know, manage the communication. Don't cut it off. Because we can both learn from each other. We can both kind of help and work as a team. And really a lot of times the sales team drives development and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Because if the developers are, are saying, Hey look, you know, this this feature isn't ready yet, the sales guys need to downplay that a little bit. And so it, it changes their behavior. They change your behavior. You go, okay, well, hey, our clients keep getting confused by this one way that we do things. Let's do this in a smarter way.
0: Or the clients keep asking for this one thing. Yeah. Can Is this something that we can add? Or why can't we so I can tell them? Because that's another thing that, as a salesperson, clients really like it when you're honest with them. Yeah. I mean, you should be honest with them all the time, but they really like it when you're just blunt with them and they say, I would, I would love it if you guys had this feature. And as a salesperson, you go, I would too, but we can't do it, uh, according to the, the development team, because of this. Yeah,
1: or well, we're working on something. Sometimes being able to say, look, this is down the road, it's in the roadmap, but we have a few other things we have to get through first. When you're honest about that, I mean, I've been on the other side of the sales table. I was today. Yeah. Uh, and that's an honest discussion. That that helps. That helps make the sale. Mm-hmm. And so I really I really dislike the organizational structures. that's like, okay, the salesperson talks to the sales manager. They talk, and it goes up this huge chain, and it comes back down, and it goes to the project manager, and then goes over to the dev team lead, and then finally comes down to you. It's like playing telephone in school by the time that message gets from one end to the other, it's
0: completely distorted. It's valueless. Which is really interesting because one of the blogs I found that talks about companies that pair developers with sales.
1: I would love that.
0: And it's it's mainly for like large sales where they need someone that knows what's going on really in depth to come in and explain that to the tech people at the company. But I think it's such a brilliant idea. If you can get a a dev person that is comfortable talking to the salespeople, even if they don't talk to clients, just having them there to say, oh, "Hey, no, we really can't do that," or "That's way down the line," or "Hey, that'll be
1: that'll take five minutes. Upsell it for twenty k."
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That happens too.
1: <laughs> let's let's be honest here. That that happens as well.
0: And it, it you know, it can be advantageous for everybody. So uh We're just about done. I have one very last point to make, and that is salespeople they have their own kind of intelligence. I know I, I know a lot of times
1: Well the stereotype is that they're dumb and they absolutely are not.
0: No, not if they're and successful.
1: They are you know, they're playing a numbers game, they're doing a whole lot of stats, they're doing a whole lot of other stuff, but it's it's behind the scenes. To a large degree, because that's not well. Again, they're always they're rep, they're managing their reputation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're managing the appearance of what they're doing because that's what they do all day.
0: And it has to appear really easy for them. For yes. example, for a coder, you want to appear to be able to do the really hard stuff, the heavy lifting of coding. And it's easy for you. And it's easy for. You. But it won't you want it to appear really hard for everybody else.
1: Yeah. You don't wanna you don't wanna show how difficult it is necessarily because a lot of times that perception, you know, as a senior dev, I can tell you this. Sometimes being able to do stuff other people can't do and make it look
0: easy, well, it's a sales technique. Yeah, that's what I was about to get into is you want to make the difficult things look easy and you don't wanna show that you're working hard. Yeah. I mean, You want to show it to your manager and things like that, but they're behind the scenes. In the background, yeah. But the public face, you want it to look easy and smooth because that's what the customers see. They see an easy, smooth salesperson. They're like, this person is so good at their job that it's not even hard for them. Yeah, and I couldn't get that good at that job.
1: So I better pay them.
0: Yeah, you can talk about the code and what you're doing with them just put it in terms they can understand one of the big points of this whole episode was to give you the things that they understand to give you their terminology their way of thinking and by doing so you can you can go out and talk to them in their language when you're explaining things like why something can't work we've kind of reached a little over our time yeah, so, Beej went full
1: med student again. I
0: did not. I went a quarter med student. Is that like a unit of measurement? Is is that
1: like libraries of Congress or uh, you know? Wait, it's like we a, you went a quarter med student. So like, if you get two of those,
0: That will be a half med student.
1: No, like two. If you get two med students, what is that? Like, is that a physicist?
0: No, it's a. If it's you like get two med physicist. students, if you get two med students, that's a resident. Four med students is an attending.
1: Ah, okay. So we've got a lot of pretty good uh, show notes.
0: Yep. Um, so, Will, we're at the end of the show. Why don't you tell us, uh, what do you have for us for Tricks of the Trade this week? Okay, our Tricks of the Trade for today
1: is called Browser Shots. And you can find this at browsershots.org. And what this will do is actually do a browser compatibility test for a large, large number of web browsers. So you put in your URL and tell it to submit and it'll actually go and then see which browsers it'll work in. I mean, it covers things, you know, Firefox obviously is in there. Um, Chrome is in there. Opera, internet explorer links, text only. Uh, obviously IE is in there, but Hey, who really cares about being compatible with IE, right? <laughs> Cause nobody ever brings that up and all the weird versions of it. Um, Different versions of Ice Weasel, Midori, uh, hmm. Epiphany, Dillo. I've never even heard of Dillo. I, I thought I was a proper nerd, but I've never heard of Dillo. So, so some of these are ones I haven't heard in a long time right. or never heard of. And what it will do is actually go out to your website and get a screenshot of each browser, what it looks like in oh, that wow. browser. But it'll bring back screenshots, and you can actually go through there and look and make sure that your site is rendering properly in all these different browsers. So it's, it's a pretty cool little tool. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at com. Our theme music is an excerpt from standby for Titanfall by pure bells available on SoundCloud and licensed under creative commons. The intro music for IOTs is OMFG Hello by Argo Fox, and is also licensed under Creative Commons and available on SoundCloud. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.